Welcome to a throwback edition of the Social Flight Live podcast, where we feature a special past episode that stood out from all the rest. Join our live broadcast every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at socialflightlive.com. Social Flight is brought to you by Aspen Avionics, Avidyne, Bose Aviation, Continental Aerospace Technologies, Lightspeed Aviation, Massimo Mighty Sat, Tempest Aero Group, and Whip Air. And now, here's your host, Jeff Simon. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Social Flight Live. I'm Jeff Simon. We have a great show for you this evening. We have both Ryan Braun and Ryan Reed here from U Avionics. Really fantastic company and such a fascinating story uh, to go with it about uh, where their products came from, where they're going now and into the future. So, so, so many cool things to do. As always, I'm going to start here by uh, showing a little bit about what's new at uh, uh, happening around our area. And I have some really fun things to talk about. Well, the first thing, of course, is that we have a new private pilot here at Social Flight. Jake Simon, uh, proud dad here, uh, has uh, just completed his uh, private pilot certificate uh, aircraft single engine land uh, on July 9th, last Thursday. And so a new private pilot in the family at Social Flight and uh, really, really exciting. You know, one of the challenges uh, during this crisis has of course been flight training. And uh, in the case of Jake's experience, he started his flight training. He was basically ready for his check ride when the crisis hit. And uh, obviously everything shut down, flight schools shut down, et cetera, training, as well as all the exams and ability to even rent an aircraft. When that finally started to reopen, it seemed like it was one thing after another. Weather kept canceling check rides, and then the aircraft canceled check rides and schedules. Everything kept happening. But finally, last Thursday, it happened. Uh, he passed with flying colors, you can see him here, and uh, then the next thing that uh, he was able to do is uh, both proud dad and also his brother, who's just beginning flight training, that's been there with him, got to do their first flights completely solo. And so I uh, just wanted to do a shout out to them. You know, we created Social Flight Live to help support general aviation during this crisis and uh, being able to see new pilots minted. Uh, across the United States as everything starts to open up uh, with safe social distancing and careful flying. It's so wonderful to, to see as it keeps supporting uh, everything that we love here in general aviation. The uh, other thing that I'd like to announce is that we have partnered with Avidyne. If you have not heard of uh, what's happening during uh, what was formerly the in-person Air Venture Week, EAA has created the Spirit of Aviation Week, uh, July 21st to 25th. That's beginning Tuesday of next week. And we have partnered with Avidyne to bring some fantastic com uh, content to you in the uh, evenings. We are uh, in the spirit. If anyone has ever had the opportunity of going directly to Air Venture. One of the things that you must know, of course, is that the Avidyne events are some of the best features of the show. They last year had this inflatable pub that was uh, really something to see uh, that, that they had uh, all of their both customers and, and other prospective customers come in and uh, be able to celebrate and meet the Avidyne team and spend uh, some time there. And so they are always known for having uh, really wonderful events and they have decided to continue that spirit in addition to the technical presentations that they're going to have where you can learn about Avidyne products, they're 
they're going to have these evening presentations that we will be working with them on and presenting as part of Social Flight Live, including some really fascinating guests who I cannot name yet, but I can guarantee you they will be exciting to see. And so you can learn about this and sign up at avidine.com. And also it will be featured on Social Flight and in our Friday Social Flight weekly email update. So stay tuned. Very, very cool things coming with that. Uh, next, I'd like to just uh, introduce the company and the people here from UAvionics. Now, UAvionics came onto the scene with some truly innovative products at a time when everyone was struggling with the concept of ADS-B and how we were going to afford and put it into aircraft and do it in a way that didn't require tearing the entire aircraft apart. And they came up with some very innovative products in their Sky Beacon, which was the really probably the most famous at this point product that mounts right on the wing in place of one of the nav lights and gives you a UAT solution. And then also followed on with their tail beacon. Following that, they've, uh, they're getting ready to uh, release their Tail Beacon X, which we'll talk about, has uh, so many other things uh, associated with it, including diversity, a 1090 ADS-B solution, so lots to talk about there. And then in addition to that, of course, there's portable products in their Sentry uh, uh, ADS-B receivers. Finally, uh, they uh, went through uh, working together in an uh, acquisition with Aerophonics, were able to bring these panel products uh, to, to market, the AV30 and the AV20S. And I'll tell you, we are so impressed by both of these products that we're actually integrating them into the Mustang here behind me that's getting built. Uh, uh, Jake and Ben are working on the um, rear seat panel in particular, designing a panel there that's going to be all around the AV30. And also we need, if you fly an aircraft like this that you want to yank, bank, loop and roll, then you need a G meter. And one of the very cool features about the AV20 is it's gonna give us that G meter capability, uh, all sorts of other features, uh, timers for IFR flying, just a ton of stuff. And so I just wanted to give everyone a peek and reminder of what this amazing company is all about before we introduce our guests for this evening here on Social Flight Live. So I am pleased to welcome uh, Chief Operating Officer Ryan Braun. He has over 20 years of entrepreneurial and product development experience. As an engineer, Ryan worked to shape a diverse set of products, including mobile devices, high-speed storage area networks, automation, drones, which we'll be talking about a little bit later, and network security and avionics. As an entrepreneur, he has founded and served in executive roles for several companies in markets as diverse as internet startups, contract engineering, and of course, aviation. Well, he holds a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from the University of Iowa and is a private pilot. And along with Ryan Braun, we have Ryan Reed, who is Director of Marketing and Communications at UAvionics. Ryan's got a fascinating story. He used to borrow RC helicopter magazines from the school library and watch A-Team with his favorite TV character, Murdoch, flying the helicopter. Later in life, he obtained his rotorcraft license and finally got to fly full-scale helicopters. He spent several years collecting LIDAR and geospatial data throughout the Rocky Mountain West in the Cessna 206, and of course, an MD-520 helicopter and he joined UAvionics to help advance cooperative airspace for all aircraft, past, present, and future. Welcome, both of you uh, gentlemen, to Social Flight Live. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thank you. Very kind intro. 
<laughs> well, uh, you know, I have been fascinated with both of your products and both of you were there at the very beginning of founding this company. And from the minute that I saw that uh, that Sky Beacon first came out, I said, you know, someone's finally done it. They, they finally figured out how to combine, uh, this, you know, cutting edge technology with the FAA process to um, to make all of this happen. So tell us a little bit about what, what was involved in getting the company going. Well, we probably have a little different background than a lot of the aviation companies out there. We, we came from the whole concept of founding the company from a, a technology perspective. So uh, we, we went out to Silicon Valley venture capitalists and pitched the concept of universal equipage and really being able to enable drones. So a number of us have worked in the unmanned space previous to this, drones, RC, uh, and you know, we saw this huge problem from the pilot's point of view that there was no way for these drones and for these RC helicopters to avoid hitting the full-scale aircraft. Uh, so we, as hard as we were working on these problems of how, how do you not hit the tree, how do you not hit the power line, what we cared more about was how do you not hit the airplane because we wanted to enable that type of integration. And that was a problem, thankfully, that uh, venture capitalists were interested in solving. Uh, but we kind of had ulterior motives all along for this. And that we knew when we created a technology like this, we were going to be able to bring this into the full-scale manned aviation space. Um, when you look at the market and when you look at the type of products that have been out there, it, you know, it's very difficult to spend a lot of engineering money on products when you're selling hundreds of them a year, maybe. Uh, you know, we felt all along and we, was, we still feel very passionately that you know, the unmanned market is a secret route to be able to hopefully gain more pilots over time, but also to be able to really bring that technology uh, back into that manned aviation space and to do it cost cost effectively. So, you know, we we set out with both of those goals in mind and uh, started with building really some core technology, uh, a chip that could do ADSB, which certainly did not exist and does not exist out of our pro outside of our products. Uh, and we really had to build up an ecosystem of unique technologies uh, that are really miniaturized. So we need things that operate in, the, in drones and operate in modern avionics to be lightweight, low power, and low cost. And those aren't synonymous with most existing manned aviation applications. You know, a lot of the platforms are 15, 20 years old uh, that are being reused and really uh, are not the best way to go about implementing some of these unique form factors and things that we wanted to do. Right. So we uh, we showed up at Oshkosh, what, what was our first uh, air venture? And was 2016. 2016, he's better with dates. Uh, and, and, you know, we thought, well, what's what's the coolest thing that we could do uh, here showing up as a brand new company? who really up to that point had only been working in the drone space. And we said, well, everybody needs an ADS-B receiver. Lots of people have them, but lots more people could have them. And we could do it in a really unique form factor and make them really small and low power. And uh, we brought that to market at that show. Uh, people were clamoring for them. That was what's referred to as the original Ping Buddy. And that was our first mm -hmm. aviation product, our first manned aviation product. So uh, from there, uh, things escalated quickly. 
and we started thinking about ways that we could use the the small core chipsets that we've created uh, to create some of these unique applications. Hmm. Yeah. At the end of the day, what we've worked on, and we'll talk about products, of course, but we've worked to try to bridge that gap between Silicon Valley, who's very, very good at innovating, uh, but doesn't always understand the, the constraints that certification and some of these safety critical products really require. Uh, and the other side of the equation there with uh, the FAA and the traditional certification approaches, now how do we meet in the middle with that and, and be able to innovate and make these things cost effective and, and really unique? And, and that's always been the challenge, right? I mean, you know, general aviation is such a, a restricted, small market. We like to think of ourselves as being the center of our universe, of course, but it's it's not. The con, con, there's so many companies in the past that have thought that they could bring consumer technology in, and as soon as they dipped their toe in the water, they saw what was really involved or experienced it one way or another and went running the other direction. I mean, yeah. um, now, R Ryan Reed, you came from the helicopter market, of course, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, that space has so much see and avoid. I remember early on uh, I, when I was involved in the UAV business, it was the same thing. Like the, the killer thing was, how is this entire market going to deal with the see and avoid concept? Right. Um, so yeah. what was your story of coming in? Well, so I'm, I call myself a drone denier uh, <laughs> for, for a long time. Uh, so my wife's a land surveyor. I was doing geospatial work with rotorcraft. And uh, every, every time we would open our mailbox, it was stuffed full of uh, magazines for surveying and, and, and geospatial collection sensor data. And it was all about how drones were going to make me obsolete, going to make my business obsolete, uh, going to make the pilot obsolete, right? And so I didn't want to hear that. Um, at the same time, I met uh, this mad scientist named Paul Beard, and we were working on a, 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 a UAV project. And uh, Paul showed up one day with this fixed wing aircraft that he'd put a, a low cost drone autopilot in. And the winds were blowing probably 15 cross. You know, they launched this little foam wonder and, and it flew better than I ever could fly, right? <laughs> Autonomously. And so that was extremely frustrating. But also the moment when I said, well, if, if you can do that for $100, how do we get that in aircraft, right? How do we get that? How do we bring that to? The guys like me who who would benefit from the increased margin and safety benefit um, at a reasonable cost. And so for me, that was kind of the light bulb moment where I stopped so much opposing drones and seeing that uh, a low cost UAS solution that was certifiable mm -hmm. uh, could do really powerful things for for general aviation. And uh, so that that guy that I met, Paul, actually is the CEO of UAvionics today. Um, but, but for me that the moment where I switched from despising drones, you know, and what they represented, uh, to really appreciating them is when I saw that same thing that UAvionics is trying to do, right. Is take this, take mm -hmm. the existing Silicon, let's have a code base and a design base that's certifiable. And let's, let's bring that over to, to general aviation. Uh, at the same time, the see and avoid message is extremely compelling. Uh, if you've, flown any aircraft, rotorcraft, or fixed wing, it's, it's fairly high workload already. And now you're trying to look for this. I have trouble seeing full-scale aircraft. So the <laughs> idea that, 
there is a quadcopter out there that's the size of a basketball that can move sideways or backwards or in ways that normal aircraft don't, uh, that that's a that's that's a problem that needs solved. You know, for 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 pilots, uh, all yeah. pilots, pilots of UAS and pilots of uh, of rotorcraft and fixed wing and gliders and um, and so you know, I guess it's exciting to talk about the technology and the markets, but of course we're also pilots. And so what we're most passionate about is flying and how do we take the experience that we've had with, you know, the smartphone uh, or, or, or computers or iPads or any of this technology, consumer electronics um, that has, it's, it's completely removed the barrier, right? Any, right. any person can pick up a smartphone and do amazing things when 10 years ago, you would have needed a degree in computer science in order to pull it off. And so how do we do that? And, but also maintain the experience of command and control of an aircraft to keep that, you know, as pure as possible. Uh, autopilot and all those things are amazing, but I also still want to, still want to hold fashion. I want to fly the aircraft. And so right. uh, that that's, you know, something else that informs our design. Ryan already touched on size, weight, and power. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've been in the conditions at density altitude with payload where the choice is the payload or another gallon of fuel, right? And everybody right. knows that more fuel is more margin and more time. But uh, so by taking a five pound transponder and reducing it to a couple hundred grams or 50 grams, you know, that that's another, that's another gallon of fuel. That's more flight right? or, well, or more capability for the mission. And so I was kind of shocked coming into avionics from a pilot background that there really wasn't a focus on size, weight, and power in the industry. No, you know, it's interesting that so much of the, so many of the innovations that have happened in the market have been around that. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of challenges. If you, so take me back. If you, you go back in time, I remember the early days with Capstone and ADSB first kicking off. One of the biggest challenges to avionics companies at the time was the first challenge was there wasn't much of a standard to know exactly what you really had to, to build to do it. Right. Then you right. had breaking new barriers uh, through that. So um, tell me a little bit about what was involved in, in getting something, you know, that you knew you could, you could at least code, uh, uh to, to be able to, uh, both yeah. send out ADSB and receive, but crossing that barrier, um, to, to, you know, the certified world. And I know Ryan, Ron, you had some stories about this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, as you said, you know, we can't just go out and buy a chip that does this. And there are plenty of general purpose platforms that have been put together. Uh, I think people are very familiar, of course, with, uh, with Stratex and the great work that they've done with software-defined radios and things. But there's limitations and, and problems that present themselves around using that, you know, especially in a certified solution. Right. Uh, and in meeting some of the performance requirements as well. So. You referenced the requirements, you know, those luckily by the time we got in the space, they've been pretty well set and through multiple revisions of them. Uh, so we, we didn't have to fight too many of those early battles, but what we did have to fight was a lot around how we can really do a unique installation because when people uh, created these, uh, they assumed that they would look just like every box has ever looked for the last 50 right. years. Right? <laughs> so big big chunk of anodized around. aluminum uh, with, a heat, with a heat sink and everything else that went around that. Yeah. Right, right. And, and also the specifications and assumptions that 
you will absolutely take this device and connect it to that device. Right. And exactly. Connected in this manner and use this protocol and and then and then you you change the paradigm and you put it all in one exactly you know, enclosure and and you're trying to map the requirements for the antenna location and how it's cabled. We just. I want to make sure people understand because I don't think I don't think most of the people out there in the market in general understands that the most significant thing I've ever heard out of your company that was so revolutionary is the idea that you are going to make the chips that do this. (laughs) That's that's what you don't hear anyone talking about is making the chip that does it that can be used even in other people's products. I mean, it, it takes millions of dollars, of course, to go off and, and do projects like that. And, you know, we believed that it was worthwhile to do it because of this large market out there for UAS uh, and because it's the only way we could enable these applications. But creating the, the, the chip was absolutely critical because you can't go on, our, our founder, Paul Beard, always says, you know, you can't go on DigiKey, which is a parts, uh, you know, electronics parts right. and order an ADS-B chip, right? It doesn't exist. There's nothing in those frequency ranges. There's, these are protected frequencies. Why would anyone make anything for them? And, you know, when you talked about quantity, uh, having worked and built things in the consumer electronics industry for you know, the last 20 years, if you call up and you say, hey, I, I want to build 100,000 of, uh, you know, this device, you'll get laughed out of the room. Right? You, no one will talk to you in, in today's market space unless you say you're going to build 10 million or something because that's what the cell phone model has done. And that's a wonderful thing because chips that never would have existed before exist now, but nobody wants to talk to you. And they certainly don't want to make a special version of something unless you're talking tens, hundreds of millions of units, maybe even billions. I mean, when we talk radio chips, Bluetooth chips, uh, accelerometers, things like that. It's been enabled by the fact that everyone has a cell phone. And so we wanted to straddle that line of developing new where we had to, and yet still being able to find a way to certify and adopt some of the critical pieces of very well accepted commercial technology. And that's something the FAA is, has been pushing hard on for the last five plus years, five, 10 years really how they can have policy around that. And we had to do some pretty unique things and the FAA, their policy and innovation group was really critical uh, to what we were able to do. Uh, and, and really it was being able to bring in some of these really small lightweight things that they've never seen before. But yeah, we, we, we did our own radio chip for this so that can send and receive ADS-B. Um, right. That uh, it's a pretty adaptable chip and that, chip is in every product that we make from uh, a single chip solution that we sell to uh, unmanned vendors that they integrate in their drones uh, through our Sentry receive products that we partner with ForeFlight on uh, all the way into our transponders, uh, Skybeacon, Tailbeacon, that's the core of it. And that uh, is what we call the ping chip. And it's uh, you know a few millimeters by a few millimeters of very high technology radio. So I have, I have to ask, like, even in general terms, how, like, how were you able to conquer those two things that you said? Because on one hand, you have the issue of how do you make a chip when you don't have uh, a a billion customers or even in the millions of them out there and and be able somehow to make that happen. On the other hand, 
you also mentioned the certification side where it always used to be that the building blocks of avionics mm -hmm. had to be pre-certified had to be things that were going to be acceptable to the FAA or you couldn't get started, which is why all of these older avionics were all working with, you know, chips, uh, Intel chips from, you know, so many generations old and, uh, uh, before, you know, than what people had in commercial space because, or in the, the regular market, uh, just because that was the only thing that FAA was willing to tackle. Somehow you nailed both of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I'll take the first part. There. Sure. The, Ryan can handle the certification piece, but the key is human capital. It's having, it's having the right team and it's having like, you know, passionate aviators who believe so much in what they're doing. And of course, with the technical expertise to accomplish it and that same team having a track record of success in other industries where they delivered in the tens of millions of products shipped so that, you know, you have that, you have a unique DNA of accomplishment and passion and you get everybody together as again referencing paul but the uh, two of his famous kind of mottos are it's not mission hard it's mm -hmm. mission impossible so if it's just hard we're not going to do it and two is bias for action right so um actually just moving things forward uh, we didn't spend you know several years uh, working on solving all the problems right we, we decided we would go out and either succeed or fail fast and uh so and you can see that in sort of the rapid iteration um but as far as getting the funding and and then being able to create silicon that i would say is a hundred percent the team wow and, and what comes to certification right well the the certification you know i'll give a lot of credit to faa for sure uh there, you know, there's been this push as we've seen out there with what, the, what we call STC PMA product. And really, that's not saying a lot other than we're finding new ways to comply with the laws. And uh, as someone, Jeff, who has experience in this in the past, you know, it, there was no way to do this 10 years ago. They, you would go in and the FA would say, mm, if, it's, if it's not exactly by this book, there's no way we're going to do that. Uh, we thought originally that we were going to be able to pursue and use some of the new guidance uh, that had, has been issued around software around this STC PMA when we did, uh, when we created Sky Beacon and Tail Beacon. It turns out uh, we were not allowed to because uh, of some very obscure uh, things that got written into the law around how you must comply with uh, with the rule essentially and what, what it comes down to is it said you have to do this a certain way it was prescribed that you must prove your design assurance a certain way and so we, we started thinking it would maybe be easier than it otherwise ended up being uh, and at the end of the day we, we really had to go a pretty traditional route on much of our system as far as what they call do 178 do 254 um, so it's not like a lot of the systems that you see today that uh, that are, are using this for more progressive software guidance. We are doing that on some of our other products, and we'll get to that. Uh, but really, for our core ADSP products, we had to hew to the same laws that have been uh, exercised and used for many years. Uh, but we did get a lot of very useful progressive guidance that's being harmonized internationally now. And we were the first company to be able to uh, utilize this. They wrote the uh, they wrote this guidance for us and around what we were doing with our products. 
and it is now being made part of an international standard, if you will. Wow. And it, it allows you to take blocks of uh, technology and say, you know, that's, that's been in this type of product with millions of uses, uh, and we can prove that this piece of it works. But we didn't do that for a lot. We did it very selectively where we knew there was no point in going back and recreating a certain, uh, certain function that you would have to spend $5 million to go recreate when it's obviously very well proven. You, know, you, wouldn't right. go, you don't go recreate a Wi-Fi chip just right. because you want to certify a product. It doesn't make any sense. Right? No. There's a lot of Wi-Fi chips out there. If you're doing that, you're wasting money and you're wasting consumers' money. And so what we were able to do is piece together a really unique approach to that. Uh, and that, you know, that full path is a very good question. That full path of do you have the right people who know the right people in the industry who have <clears throat> had a track record of success to be able to sell high quantities of products that no one thought you'd ever be able to sell high quantities of. And then you have people that can connect up those dots with regulators and, and other people in industry and get people to buy in and develop an ecosystem. These are the things that we've been working very hard behind the scenes on. Uh, and, you know, clearly we've been very, very successful uh, and the reception for Sky Beacon and Tail Beacon has been just beyond our wildest expectations. I mean, you know, we all had ideas what it could do and we, uh, we're have been beyond hardened and gratified with with what we have seen because it it really did build a company for us uh, that is going to be able to to take the same approach into a lot of new markets and into a lot of new uh, pieces of technology that we're putting into the cockpit. Well, really, it really fascinates me, and in, and I find it inspirational. I think to everyone or anyone listening right now to the show uh, that is thinking about you know getting involved in innovation within general aviation. You guys hit every aspect of what it takes in the perfect storm of making things successful. You, you managed to leverage something outside of general aviation in order to get the economies that were going to work to make a product inside aviation. You managed to work with the existing standards uh, in ways that, that some people don't have to, but you managed to work with them while at the same time, certainly if I understand you correctly, leveraging the, the thing that... that most people have not been successful from before, which is to point the FAA outside into the commercial world and say, there is some proof point here of, of success with these products that, um, or this technology that we have to be able to backwards translate in areas that we don't have to follow all the same regulations on. And, um, and, and that's, that's a very unique thing that I think benefits all of us. And you know, a good example of that is our, is the GPS. There's when we uh, were working on the Sky Beacon GPS, which now resides in many of our products. There was, you know, there's no way you could get a certified GPS in that small of a form factor. It has mm -hmm. to be, you know, size of a quarter, for lack of a better uh, yeah. comparison, right? It has to be very, very small. And it, yes, you can get a, a GPS in your watch, but no, you can't get a certified GPS in your watch. And they're very, very, very different things. Uh, you know, they both give you a position. Beyond that, they're very different in how they have to process the data, the requirements that they have to meet, and the level of integrity. And so, you know, you can be selective and you can use things, uh, but we end up doing a GPS design from scratch. Uh, there's not a lot of companies that have done that. You know, very, very few in the last 10 years um, I can count them on one hand, I think, in the aviation space who have tackled that. 
And when you say that, you're talking about a chip, not like companies that have created a board that is a G- GPS and then has, you know, other people's certified chips on it. You're, you're talking the chip that can, that can go in, in a variety of products. That's yep. right. Yeah. And so it, uh, and it's a very adaptable kind of front end back end solution. The technology is very fascinating, uh, you know, how it's achieved. But at the end of the day, we get a device that has no, you know, performance drawbacks. Mm-hmm. Right? We're not looking to do something at our company that is going to be almost as good as that other device. Now, it has to perform exactly the same or better, but it has to do it at a tenth the power and a tenth the size. Right. Uh, and it has to probably do it in a unique way because otherwise someone would have already done it that way. Right. So every product that we look at, we kind of view through that lens. And from an engineering standpoint, uh, you know, I, I'm just incredibly proud of the team, what they did to be able to create that GPS in an insanely short period of time. I don't know, you know, how, you know, how people can be so motivated and, and you know, so apply so much energy to something over a short period because I've, you know, I've worked at a lot of companies and I've seen some cool stuff, but, uh, you know, getting to a product like that and people say, there's no way you actually did that. Right? We, we hear that a lot. There's no way you can certify it. There's no way that it's possible that you actually did that. And we did. And, you know, the, the proof has been in the pudding. And, you know, that's, that's our baseline now. That's where we're starting from. That's, that's, that's absolutely fascinating. Now, now, I mean, Ryan Reed, you've got some good stories. Tell, tell me about how, I mean, all of your products, the, the core products, the Beacon products, are based on this concept of, hey, um, every, all, every airplane's got a lights. Like, right. we'll, just, we'll just replace that. Yeah. What's so, the on that? Yeah. So uh, going back to that first air venture and Ping Buddy and uh, all the interest in ADSB, we also had this little box uh, that would become uh, one of our experimental products, the Echo UAT. And, and at that time, no pun intended, the light bulb hadn't come on yet. We uh, are all pilots and, and some of us aircraft owners. Um, and we were looking at solutions for our own airplanes, right? We, we got to equip. There's a mandate. Uh, we go out and get quotes for the installation and, you know, you'd break it down and, and you have, you have box a, you know, $2,000 installation, $2,500. Right. <laughs> and, and we realized, well, we, as Ryan Braun used to say, we're, we're at a point where we could build a box and give it away for free. It's still going to cost a pilot several thousand dollars to equip. So that's when we started to look away from the box model really, you know, aggressively. And, and uh, I think Paul was actually the first person to mention the light bulb. And it was one of those things that he threw out and we kind of said, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Next. And uh, swipe next. Um, and we, I remember over several conversations, he'd say, well, what, you know, what about, what about the light bulb? What about the, what about on the wingtip? And, and you know, uh, I, I don't think he could do that. You know, um, and <laughs> that, so then we, we do is tackle a whole new set of regulations around lighting. <laughs> yeah. Well, then we we walked around uh, uh, Air Venture and and Son and Fun and 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 our home airports, and we start looking at aircraft and trying to figure out, okay, where can you put this thing where you have that unobstructed view of the sky, an unobstructed view of the ground, right? You need you need to meet the installation requirements, and there are very few places on an aircraft where you can achieve that. And then add in the challenge of we want to install ADSB without modifying the aircraft. So if you have to punch a hole in an airframe, if you have to run a new wire, scrap that design. 
um, and it it was sometimes contentious. Uh, we we sort of proofed the prototype uh, very early on uh, before we'd settled on final mechanicals or anything. We you know we flew uh, a device just to see that indeed you could put it on the wing and and it would work. And uh, so the, the wingtip and the tail seemed like the 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 best options. Uh, but then it, then the challenge becomes, so how do you package it so that you're not appreciably larger than the existing device? Mm -hmm. And, uh, again, going back to, to, to Ryan's comment, you know, the, 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 the sky beacon, if you go look at your average TSO GPS antenna, just the antenna, not the receiver, not the ADSB portion, it's larger than this entire device. So, you know, how do you, how do you package it? Well, uh, that's where we were really set up well for success because we'd spent, you know, the last couple of years working on products for UAS and a focus on size, weight, and power. And so I have one on my desk here if I can find it. But uh, this, so this was, this is the Ping 2020i. This is a UAT 20 watt transmitter with a, with a rule compliant GPS. And so, so, you know, we were able to take those core blocks that we had established um, and then you trip over certification and you realize, yeah. well, yeah, we can build it, but can you certify it? And, and then we had to take, you know, some of these core blocks and strip it all the way back down to zero and approach it with DO 178, DO 254 at the forefront. And then of course, Ryan can always speak much better on this, but then take it to regulators and, and get approval for those blocks and then um, move to environmental testing and, and all of the other right. testing that's required. And for, for viewers there, DO-178 is the software regulations under the FAA for certified software and DO-150, 154 is all the uh, side of hardware uh, that has to do with all this. Now, Ryan Braun, you, you, you've got this device now out at the wingtip and you got power coming out to it because it was originally just a light. So all of that is set up, but now you have to control it. How did you tackle everything from configuration <laughs> to communication and all of those things with an iPhone? Yeah. Right. So the, you know, the, the thought is you, you want to make this thing as inexpensive as possible to install, configure and maintain. Uh, and that definitely presented a number of challenges. And, you know, when from the outside, when you look at some of these certification projects and why does it take so long, uh, it's, it's a lot of these battles going in the background that we know that there's sometimes shorter paths to get there. Um, but if we take that path, it's going to cost everybody $100 a year down the road, right? They're, 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 they're battles that we, I think, work on very strategically that, uh, that that end up with a better product for the customer for the long term. And, so you're talking you know, about maintenance, right? Like ongoing maintenance. Yeah, and really everything. But uh, yeah, maintenance is a big one. So you know, we we said, well, first of all, we don't want them to have to go to a shop, a regular shop that has you know a fifty thousand dollar piece of test equipment and an old Windows ninety five computer in the corner that that's dedicated to running our our installer application. Right? I mean, this should be something that just like a piece of uh, modern consumer electronics that you buy and can configure. Right? So, uh, you know, that of course led us to, we're going to do it over Wi-Fi. We're going to do it using an iPhone app or an Android app. Uh, and 
that's one of those things the FAA looks at and they say, no, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't configure a piece of certified avionics that's broadcast into the national airspace with an iPhone. That's how do you know it's doing what you say it to do? Right. You know? And so it's, you know, months of circular arguments of, well, here, look, I pushed the button. It did it. Now I, I see, look, you can see it did it, but how do they know? Right? And so there's a lot of, a lot of those type of things that, that, that take place, a lot of things that were innovated that we can look back on a couple of years later now and say that wasn't a big deal. But it really, in retrospect, was pretty important, a lot of those things that we did. Uh, and, you know, some of the other things that, that, that really make that story and, and made it a very compelling device is, you know, we, we can't have more wires running. So, you know, we have our, our uh, communication technology that, that enables us to synchronize the squawk codes and to your existing altitude encoder in the aircraft. We've got some really unique technologies around how we do uh, our, the altitude encoding. So the uh, sky beacon and tail beacon have pressure altitude sensors in them, altimeters, if you will, uh, but they have to report the same thing that your aircraft is reporting, even if your aircraft's wrong. Uh, right. So there's uh, some pretty unique things we did there, some really unique FAA approvals that I know have never been done before. They ever envisioned uh, happening around continuously calibrating these devices with no user intervention. Right. So it, it um, you know, we, we, we tried to take the big picture to that and we look for that in all of our products, how we can, how we can do something unique that, that other people might not get to. Uh, and, and really that it, it benefits the pilot in the end. Yeah. So let's, yeah. Let, let's level set that for people just for a minute so everybody understands uh, uh, who's out there that you still have a transponder. Like that's how this technology works. You've got your transponder that's, that, that remains in the aircraft that continues to, to work. ADSB is supplemental to that, a different technology that's working outside using the UAT band. And it has to send out your position, your altitude, information about you, what your, you know, the number that your, your, your aircraft is. And, and those things have to be in sync. And so that's what, that's what I think you're talking about here is how, how do you do that? How does the how did you come up with the technology, of course, that kept the, the the sky beacon and tail beacon sending the same information, seeing the squat code that someone put into their transponder, and that there aren't variations between those things that then have to be maintained in the future? Is that right? That's that's right. Yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. If you'd like well, to. I guess just to kind of circle back there, one of the things that Ryan touched on that uh, just want to make as obvious as possible is the the amount of effort that goes into something like that in terms of uh, the development, the approval, and all of the verification, uh, you know, the, those things, unfortunately, uh, sometimes they're, they're serial efforts. They can't happen in parallel. And so um, when we decide to do it, sort of, you know, sort of disrupt the flow or do it, set it, change the paradigm for how uh, a certain task is accomplished. There, there usually is, unfortunately, a time cost with that in, mm -hmm. in, in the development certification. And so, uh, again, if, it, if we could take an easy path and say, well, you just got to run some wires out to the sky beacon from your altitude encoder and, uh, you know, could have completed the certification month sooner. But at the same time, we weren't going to deliver the value and we weren't going to deliver the product that, that we all envisioned from the beginning uh, without doing that. And so sometimes the hard choice is not uh, whether 
the hard part is not the technological accomplishment. It's, it's knowing that you may impact the sales of that product in the short term and, and the ability to get it in the customer's hands because you're trying to do it right and, and the way that you envisioned it from the beginning. Right. And so all that extra work was to keep to, to your, true to your vision that you mm-hmm. would not have additional wires running through the wing, additional things right. happening, additional installation costs. That if it was just going to be those two power wires going to a nav light, you had to, you, you had to, you had to do all that extra certification work. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You had to prove the technology. So this, this is a hilarious one, but squawk codes, right? So poor person in the company sat there and punched in 4,096 squawk codes and we validated that it came in testing yeah we didn't really get to the background of sky beacon tail beacon and yeah how it operates but you 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 pointed out that you do need to keep your existing transponder and the goal there of course was ease of retrofit uh, the U- u.s is pretty unique in that they've allowed this technology where people can maintain their existing systems generally less disruptive. It's not uh, the, the solution for everybody, but UAT is always has been and probably will continue to be the most cost-effective way right. uh, for folks to equip uh, because so, it's lower power transmitters uh, and there's some, uh, you know, it can sit side by side. So you don't have right. to tear apart your static system, things like that. That being said, uh, we of course uh, are not just looking at those UAT type of devices. We do have um, a device you mentioned earlier, the Tail Beacon X, right. which is actually a transponder replacement. Uh, and that's something, you know, a lot of folks have said over the years, well, when is the, when's the transponder replacing version coming out? Because I have a, you know, AT-150 or a right. old ARC transponder in my, in my Cessna. And, you know, I said, well, stick around, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll have something in the next show for you to look at. And so we started showing last year what has now become the Tail Beacon X. Uh, we've mm-hmm. submitted certification for that now mm-hmm. and showing a version of it there. Uh, and, and this one will allow you to remove your existing transponder. Uh, it, it certainly has legs in the U.S., uh, but it, it's really uniquely uh, an international product as well. Right. We're Tail, Tail Beacon and Sky Beacon only work in the United States. Uh, this so, product is designed to work worldwide. Let's so let's just level set everybody for that. So there are two U, ADSB technologies obviously out there. This UAT works mm-hmm. on the frequency of 978, and there is uh, just known as 1090, uh, which works. And UAT is uh, uh, the technology that many people have opted for in the United States because it's lower cost. But of course, all the benefits of what comes into the cockpit is all through UAT, both your traffic and your weather. Uh, for a lot of people there. The challenges, of course, for everybody is that you can't go over 18,000 feet. You can't operate outside the United States using that UAT technology, and its supplemental requires you to keep your existing transponder. Outside the United States and and in inside, if you use a 1090 box, then you're sending out things, you can data that you can use everywhere, and that is what led you to this unit, the Tail Beacon X, correct? It is. Yeah. And, and the one thing I'll add, of course, is that then you have Canada, which now is looking at a, uh, or is already saying that they are going to do a satellite-based system, which requires something called diversity, which means that your antenna has to work from the top and from the bottom, meaning right. essentially two antennas. 
And so talk to us about this new system, this, this uh, uh, Tail Beacon X. Yeah, well, I just, I'll reel back just a little bit. Like Ryan said, there's every show there where the guys are like, okay, well, you got the Sky Beacon, the Tail Beacon, but where's the, where's the 1090 one? You know, I know you guys, I know you guys are working on one. You got to be working on one. <laughs> and it kind of goes back to that product vision, right? So, yeah, we can, we were building a, uh, and have built several very small Mode S transponders. This is 250 watt Mode S. So, that's uh, so tiny. Yeah. And so, so it, well, again, it wasn't a question of, well, can we do that? The question is, uh, should we, and how do we, how do we do it differently? How do we bring more value and how do we do something um, that the other boxes maybe don't already do? Right. And so uh, diversity and, or, uh, you know, the ability to communicate with uh, space-based ADSB, Arion, Spire, uh, the space, uh, based receivers that that that's when I think again we said okay the, the, now now we see that piece that we can bring that makes this you know worth pursuing and, and not just coming out with uh, you know tail beacon 1090 let's right. say where it, it's designed it, to yeah. so the, you know, the standard battle all over again basically I mean you you've now got a transponder as part of it you've got diversity you've got you know everything in one with control head did you have to is it almost going back to scratch to do something like that it's, it's not we have you know we're able to leverage a lot of our components and a lot of things our, our, our techniques our GPS uh, but if you had even told everyone in our company two years ago that we would have been able to miniaturize uh, these this transponder which is essentially a you know 250 watt plus transponder and put it right next to a very very sensitive GPS you know I have a home automation system here that likes to turn my lights off but, uh, <laughs> uh, and put it right next to it and you know we're talking one antenna right on top of the other you would say that's not possible right you've got one thing that needs to hear these really quiet satellites up in space and another thing that is blasting out all the way into space they don't coexist but they do and you know it's been a lot a lot of effort and thousands and thousands of designs probably to get there for that uh, but it does use a lot of our technology that, that we had in the, the previous unit some directly and some with modification uh, yeah. you know what we see here again is uh, like Brian said a, a unique thing that other people probably can't do yet uh, mm -hmm. this the standards for ADSB have been set for years and now they're not again and you know given if it was our choice that would not be what we would say but you know a lot of external market factors and regulatory factors are impacting that outside of the u.s and uh you know the u.s came along pretty early on in the mandate game uh and not too early they, they didn't take the very first set of standards they took the second set uh and now that uh, we're call it 10 years later uh, you know, other countries are finding different applications and probably no one else will build a system like the U.S. did. Uh, you know, we're very lucky here that we have this ground infrastructure with free weather um, mm -hmm. and we've built ground infrastructure setups in other countries as well. And that's a business that we're in. But uh, to the extent that it was done in the United States and the money that was spent, it's not going to happen as much. And when you look at Canada, which has large expanses, especially up north, that can't be well served by ground infrastructure. Uh, they, along with everyone else, are looking at space. Right. And uh, the only airplanes that comply with the with that concept are jetliners. 
And, uh, you know, then the thought was, well, what do, what do you do with all the small airplanes, right? Yeah. And I didn't understand. And there's They're no like, carrot to it. They're not giving you anything for it. You're not getting the weather in the tradition, <laughs> at least not, not the yet. weather. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. We hope someday that, uh, that we can help roll that out worldwide. Um, but yeah, you're, 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 you are being told in a lot of these countries and it will continue to spread that, you know, it's important that they know where you are, right? And it's operationally more cost efficient to have ADSB. And the safety benefits, of course, uh, are, are very clear at this point that if you have two airplanes with ADSB, uh, the chances of a mid-air are going to be much, much less. And right. that scares every pilot. And, you know, I will, I, I love the fact that we are getting a very complete uh, traffic picture now in the U.S. and that we're able to uh, hopefully avoid uh, many of those things, they still uh, unfortunately do happen, but uh, really rare that once people are equipped that they, that they do. So Canada is an opportunity and a problem. Uh, when you look at traditional diversity transponders, you're in the five to $10,000 range. You're maybe, maybe more installations expensive. Oh, installation, yeah. diversity, diversity means an antenna on top and an antenna on bottom. Uh, and I, most people probably don't know that because why would you? Uh, but it means your transponder, you can't just take two normal transponders. You have to have a special transponder that, that can alternate where it sends the information. And it's designed for jetliners so that when their TCAS or collision systems are talking to each other, that even when one's coming down on top of another jetliner, that they can see each other. Right. Now, now they would like to see it from space. And so, you know, we developed something very, very unique in this tail beacon X that uh, I'll basically splits the signal between the ground and the sky. Uh, and we've been working with, with uh, COPA, which is the Canadian AOPA, uh, if you will, and with uh, NAV Canada, with the Ariane folks, uh, to really prove the performance of the system. And what you've seen and what we've seen is that it performs equivalently to uh, large aircraft with diversity installations. And wow, that's, that's what we need to be able to control it. All, all in that tiny package. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so it's replacing what traditionally would be hundreds of pounds of gear in a lot of these aircraft, right? Because wow. these are in big aircraft with tons of wiring and, you know, large avionics space, right? Yeah. And we're doing it in, in you know, a few ounces. Right? So now, all your technology isn't obviously at the wingtip and the tail. I'll uh, flip back on for a second here. And that uh, obviously uh, you've got panel products as well in the AV20 and AV30. Yeah. So, um, to, and, and you're integrating these. So uh, tell us a little bit about th- uh, this. I know obviously uh, you've got uh, a, a friend of mine that, that's a, a brilliant engineer, Jeff Bethel, that was involved in the company before uh, they were all, uh, you uh, acquired them. They're all together now at UAVionics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about these products and what, the vi- what they do and what the vision is, because I have to tell you, I'm awfully excited to see them also uh, being put to use here. Yeah, we're extremely excited as well. And um, like I think I said before the show, you know, all of our attention is on AV30 right now and uh, delivering the uh, the certification there. And you have one uh, in front of you, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. I've, I've got one here. Uh, it, it doesn't show as favorably in this lighting, but this is, this is, oh, oh, where's the webcam? So this is the device. Um, it's got a fantastic AI, uh, uh, an exceptionally unique DG. We can get into that a little bit. Uh, later um, but but at its core again going back to that uh, you know the, the UAVionics mission uh, reducing installation 
Um, but keeping the flying experience as pure as possible, uh, I again coming from rotorcraft, uh, you're talking extremely expensive aircraft and uh, designs that just like in fixed wing, we're, we're still flying designs that that Howard Hughes did, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the actual airframe is still the Hughes 500 um, was. It's it's seen iterations, but we're still flying that same same airframe, and and of course, <clears throat> like anything in aviation, you don't throw it away. You you improve it, you refurbish it. But all glass panels, um, unless you're in a larger fleet or or you have a new aircraft, are pretty rare in rotorcraft. It's, it's all mm-hmm. steam gauges, and uh, yeah. so and I and I love I love the look and the utility of of a classic panel. Um, I feel like I'm still flying the airplane. It's not flying me. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm heads up. I'm not heads down trying to wind my way through the menus. Um, and so AV30 delivers that, that, uh, classic look and that classic performance, but with, um, enhanced reliability and a ton of safety features that you can put on that same three inch display that used to serve a single function. Now you can have your AOA, you can have uh, you know, essentially a VSI, uh, your altimeter, you can combine it all into a single display and not that you would reduce your scan or avoid your other instruments, but at a glance, you can get a lot of information out of that. Out of that well, see, one of the interesting things that I find about the AV30 uh, in the similar way that there's this unique innovation in the way that you approached the Beacon products is that it what's what's unique about it to me, uh, is that you have this ability to actually change the way it looks to fit your preference. I mean, there's so we've certainly always thought about things being mission-oriented, mission-oriented in avionics, and Mm -hmm. certainly people have decluttered or allowed you to adjust where fields are on the screen. But I haven't seen something before where someone actually put a little fun into it and said, "Um, well, if you have a vintage aircraft, you can make it look vintage. If you have a modern aircraft, you can make it look modern or you can use our traditional view. I mean, you literally allow it to have what we always used to kind of call in, in devices like a skin on it mm-hmm. um, to look the way that, uh, that, that, uh, that someone's personal preference is. That, that seems pretty cool. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of TLC put into, uh, you know, really looking at those graphics and really understanding. And we want it to disappear in a cockpit. You know, I, like Ryan, I come from, you know, flying a, lot, a pretty vintage fleet. And the last thing I want to do is put a square box over a round hole. I really, really want to keep those panels looking about the same, but with a lot more capability. And so it might be hard to see when you look at the device, but, you know, it is a round uh, gauge replacement. You know, but instead of being a foot long, it's a few inches long uh, behind the panel. And uh, the, yeah, a key part of that was we wanted it to be able to change the colors, change the skins. And so we have three options on it, which is kind of a traditional uh, view that you see there. There's an ethos looking one that is not shaded, you know, mm-hmm. like a traditional ball would be on an AI. Uh, and then there's uh, a vintage, which, you know, kind of is your, your black and white version, if you will. Uh, that would look more like you, you have on your uh, car, car three or earlier aircraft. So yeah, put it um, in a cub or, or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and what you said something, of course, that's really interesting, which is most of the time, if you were in, if someone were developing avionics for the cockpit, 
what they'd probably be saying is, I want this to be the biggest, boldest, brightest thing that shows off someone's investment in front of them. And you just said, I want it to blend in with the cockpit and not be noticed. <laughs> yep. I, I look at pictures of it in panels and a lot of the time you can't even see, and this is okay. uh, a lot of the time you can't even see uh, that the device is there. I mean, you really can if the lighting is, you know, I mean, of course, dims with the lighting, uh, but it, uh, it is really just seamless looking on that panel and it, you, you struggle to pick it up that there's even a piece of electronics in there. And that's exactly what we wanted it to be. And, you know, when we come to market with this, it's going to be uh, available in two modes, an AI and a DG. So heading indication, a DG, right. uh, whatever you'd like to call that, and an AI. And so it can replace two instruments in the majority of aircraft out there. Uh, but we have great designs on this as a multi-function display and many things uh, that we're working to enable both in the experimental and the certified space. Of course, we work with uh, ADSB technology and you can bet that we'll have uh, ADSB in with alerting and visualization pretty, pretty quickly on that, uh, as well as autopilot interfaces, which we've, we, we've, we've promised and talked about as well to both some legacy and more modern digital autopilots. And there's a whole host of other functions. Uh, of course, we work with a lot of manufacturers uh, and uh, EFB makers. Uh, and there's a lot of unique functionalities that we can really use as a non-required instrument right. uh, to use that really beautiful, really beautiful, uh, you know, high color display that just fits in a three inch hole perfectly. Right. And, and at well, the price point that you're at, which I believe is just around $2,000 or, 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 mm -hmm. or under, uh, yep. for either an electronic attitude as, uh, and primary, this, well, uh, have, have airspeed and direction, all that, as well as a DG with all that information that's on it. That's a, that's a pretty impressive point. Yeah. And then the other unit, which also drew uh, our attention there is you try finding, I, I was surprised in our search with the Mustang, trying to find a G meter right now is not it's it, they don't make them anymore from what I can tell you can find a few old mechanical ones that someone will refurbish but have it being able to find that that's what led us to the 20 and mm -hmm. that yeah, unit is like $900 that that's really impressive what's in that um, yeah, that's, that's certified under Norsi uh, which is a, again a great innovation yeah. with a lot of the angle of attack and some ADSB systems are certified under now uh, and it really is a Swiss Army knife, you know. It, it basically, what all can we do with a uh, a computer this size, right? And, and if we could do it, we uh, were able to certify that. And so it has pedostatic. Uh, it has a, a you know an emergency backup AI on it. Uh, it has angle of attack. Is really why a lot of people purchase it uh, mm -hmm. as, a, as a what we call probeless AOA. It does not require an addition of a a new probe uh, out on the wing or in the inspection port. So it actually uses some pretty smart electronics and algorithms uh, to develop its its model of your of your right. angle of attack. Uh, timers, G meters, as you mentioned, uh, it, it's amazing all the things that go in in a little two inch package. And so that would go in and call it a two inch clock hole or, or something similar to that. On yeah, it's even got volts and it's got it, it, it's yeah. a surprising amount in, into that package. Yeah, and the uh, and they both also have a backup battery. So if you lose aircraft power, they'll both continue to function. Yeah. Um, maybe 32 hours. Wow. That's impressive. I, I think the last thing to bring together on that is uh, these will be serving as the control heads for our 
Toby Connects because oh, Toby yeah. Connects, of course, has no where to push any buttons on. How do you dial that squawk code? Right. Uh, we enable a number of things. You can interface to EFIS systems. So uh, hooking up to a number of existing EFIS systems out there uh, through some existing protocols, or we have uh, the control options, both in the experimental and coming soon on the certified space, uh, to be able to control it from the AV30 uh, and the AV20. So uh, there's, you know, there will be ways to control this. Of course, we can't launch a transponder with no way to dial a spot code. And uh, those are, you know, it's nice having that all kind of integrated in, in one spot there uh, right. without any additional pilot workload. It's really a nice, a nice interface and a, a nice UI as a pilot. It's you know, newer is not always better on some of those things, but but I feel we've got a pretty good solution there. Uh, and it, again, you know, really kind of declutters some of the the panel. Yeah, they're really they're really interesting units, both inside and outside. And so as, as we as we approach the end of the program here, what tell us what you know? We created Social Flight Live during this challenging time to support general aviation. How are things at UAVionics, and how's life been during uh, during the crisis? I know it's been hard on a lot of companies. How have you been surviving? Take it away, Ryan. Heads oh, down. Yeah. So uh, we've. Internally, we've been pretty unimpacted, actually. Um, our, our manufacturing is uh, up in Montana, mm -hmm. uh, where if you look at a map right now, we're, we're the only state that's not bright red on, on most of the maps. Uh, so uh, things are humming along from the manufacturing side. And that's something we didn't talk about, is, uh, and I don't want to segue into it, but once you certify the device, you still have to build it, and you have to build it under a, an approved process as well. And so you've got to have you know, a, a, an FAA inspected and approved manufacturing team and quality manual, but I don't want to go. Anyway, we, we've continued manufacturing throughout the pandemic. Um, our engineering team and uh, a lot of our company is actually distributed. So most of our team actually already is pretty progressive and works from, from home. Uh, so uh, unlike a lot of maybe traditional organizations that have been severely hampered by a lack of travel or or the inability to have, you know, more than ten people in a gathering, uh, we we continued business straight through. Um, so you're basically built for this from from the way that you formed your company, which kind of emulates Silicon Valley companies. Yeah, and again, it comes back to the team. It's uh, you need you need people with very specific skills and very specific roles, and and you have to, uh, in a sense, take them where you find them uh, because. That's, you know, their value is in accomplishing a specific task. And so, uh, again, a lot of the engineering is kind of in the Midwest. Uh, R&D and manufacturing are up in Montana as well as test flight. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> with, uh, with that distribution and the way that we work, we, we haven't been impacted. We know that, um, obviously, you know, on the revenue side, all of general aviation and commercial aviation has been uh, severely impacted. And we're we're extremely aware of that and uh, you know, doing everything we can to work with partners and, and uh, you know, do what small communities like aviation do, which is get, get through a very challenging time. Uh, at the same time, on the company side, we're looking forward at forecasts and components that may be in short supply or hard to get. Uh, outside of aviation, just, you know, I talk to people around the country. If you go to a, 
recreational shop that sells motorcycles or they sell RVs or they sell vehicles. They're, they're disappearing from the showroom floor and they're not being replenished because their supply chain is impacted. I saw an article the other day that uh, I believe Ford's worried they won't have engines for the Super Duty uh, wow. uh, as a result of, you know, different market forces. And so uh, we're, we're looking forward to make sure that, you know, we can stay on track and, and uh, keep people flying. Yeah. yeah. We're well done for it and we're well capitalized uh, for this type of market as well. Uh, and we appreciate everything that uh, that you're doing at Social Flight for this. Uh, I, I mentioned be- before, but I'm, I've been a, a member since 2013. And uh, with our flying club, I'm in Chicago. Uh, that's a tool that we've used for, for years, uh, dating back to, well, I think even 2012, maybe. Sure, that was founded uh, to be able to help organize events and, and find things to go do uh, you know, as we would get you know, five, 10 planes together and go, go to that pancake breakfast. That's always something that, that we've used. So really appreciate your efforts in that space and uh, be sure and give Jake our congratulations on the, <laughs> on the yeah. private pilot as well. That's fantastic. I will. Thank, thank you both so much. I appreciate it. Obviously, we are all doing everything we can to support general aviation. And uh, it is great news to see not only everywhere that you've come from to build UAvionics into what it is today, but to hear that things are, are still going strong and that you're looking forward and and just accelerating into the future. Because I think that, that the more companies there are like this and the more innovation that comes to general aviation, the better it is for absolutely all of us. And so again, thank you so much, Ryan Reed, Ryan Braun, for joining us from UAvionics here on Social Flight Live. Really appreciate all of that uh, you are doing and all of you for joining us for this show. And of course, as I mentioned, we will be back next week with a whole series of special programming that's going to be part of the Spirit of Aviation Week partnered with Avidyne. You'll see some great, great guests uh, having to do with that. So stay tuned. You'll get information at avidyne.com as well as also from Social Flight. And we will be back after that with normal Social Flight Live programming featuring Mike Bush, who will be joining us on July 28th. We'll be talking about engine diagnostics, which is always fun to use his expertise to learn tests that you can do do while you're flying the aircraft, learn all sorts of things that are going on and figure out what exactly is going on. And then there's time after that, we'll follow up in August, do some features here on our Mustang. So until next time, again, thank you so much for both of you for joining us and for everyone who's joining us here at Social Flight Live, Blue Skies. 